back to New World next week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. Rise of the mind-controlled super soldier. We got that story. Plus, Japan's got a lot of plutonium. But first, U.S. Treasury Secretary allows dark money group to keep donors secret. This comes from Rachel Blevins via the always interesting Free Thought Project. When politicians and mainstream media outlets, and it generally seems like everybody, obsess over the Trump-Putin summit, quietly, the United States Treasury announced it will no longer force dark money groups or certain tax-exempt organizations to disclose their financial donors. Traditional charity groups still must disclose donors in order to get those Theft-exempt donations, the change allows labor unions, nonprofits, and issue advocacy groups to be free from being forced to adhere to confidential disclosure agreements. While some have gone as far as to praise this as actually a win for privacy, they're applauding a change that will basically allow those little Congress critters and folks to be less transparent with their constituents. Even Reuters noted the change, quote, protects the privacy of wealthy donors of dark money donations to politically active groups. These dark money groups include all the favorite purveyors of the phony left-right paradigm, such as the National Rifle Association, Planned Parenthood, the Koch Brothers, and George Soros Open Society Foundation. James, we will include that link to that Reuters article. U.S. Treasury moves to protect identities of dark money political donors, and somewhere in the comments of all this kind of says that maybe the voters get what they deserve. James? Well, I think you're right to point out the left-right aspect of this, because the one headline that I saw about this, and I don't remember where, but I saw the headline, something about the, you know, now the Koch brothers can donate in secrecy or whatever, as if it doesn't apply to the Soros Foundation and other things like that as well. And of course, every outlet is going to have their left spin on it or their right spin on it, and that's all you'll see, and everyone living in their filter bubbles will see what they want to see. Um, whereas the more fundamental underlying issue, obviously, is the issue, at least I'll give credit to the people who talk about, you know, get money out of politics, at least they're looking at a more fundamental underlying issue than the left-right dog and pony show, but still I don't think it is the fundamental issue, because of course the fundamental underlying issue is the creation of money itself in our economy. Who creates it and how? That is where the political power lies. As that old uh, Meyer Amschel Rothschild quote, whether it's spurious or not, it's true. Uh, give me the power to create money and I care not who makes the laws or whatever the, the quote is. That That is essentially true. So it is ultimately the people who are creating the money who are deciding what is happening politically. It is not the political puppets. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you're voting left or voting right. So that's the fundamental underlying issue here. And I think that was exposed quite uh, starkly at the end of the Obama administration when it was revealed that, oh yeah, it turns out that uh, Obama's entire cabinet uh, back in 2008 was picked um, before he was e even won the election by uh, Citigroup um, uh, executive uh, Michael Froman. We'll put the link in for people who don't remember that particular incident. But yeah, so I mean, those are the people who are really deciding what's going on. And But here we go. I mean, now people can get outraged about their left bugaboo or their right bugaboo and forget that the fundamental issue is that that's not who's really steering politics in the first place, is it? So, James, I think this this would make a good this would make a good meme. I don't know where it originates from, but you've seen it. The idea that it moves through this sort of progression of thought 
So maybe we, somebody needs to make that meme for us as the sort of, oh, getting money out of politics. That's yeah, that's kind of using your brain, but questioning where the money comes from. That's how you achieve this sort of transcendence. That's a great way to start episode 347 of New World next week for July 19th, 2018. Our second story, James, was brought to our attention by you. And so this is very, this is your, this is your backyard. Japan, U.S. renew nuke pack. Amid Japan plutonium stock concern, Japan has amassed enough plutonium to make 6,000 atomic bombs as part of a program to fuel its nuclear plants. But concern is growing that the stockpile is vulnerable to terrorists and or natural disasters. Japan has long been the world's only nuclear, non-nuclear armed country with a program to reprocess spent nuclear fuel from its power plants into plutonium. A decade-old deal with the United States, which allows Japan to reprocess plutonium, was renewed this week, but the pact can be terminated by either side with six months' notice. So, although Japan has vowed that the materials, this is always the, the classic story, never be used for military purposes, it's now amassed vastly more plutonium than it could ever use since many of its nuclear plants still offline for seven-plus years after Fukushima. Experts warn the growing stockpile could be dangerous in case of a natural disaster like the Fukushima meltdown, but could also be an attractive target for terrorists. They also fear the reserve could encourage other regional powers, including ding, 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 China, to press for a similar reprocessing capability, boosting the amount of weaponizable plutonium in Asia. And even some warn that North Korea could point to the stockpile as an excuse to avoid denuclearizing. James, I have included a couple of links to get more onto this sort of nuclear deal renewed coming from the NHK. And I have a, a couple of other links in here. But what is there's a there's several different vectors of this story. There's the nuclear stockpile. There's the, are they going to dump it in the ocean? There's several different parts to this story. If you could help kind of suss it out for us. I think the the most important part is the open secret that's been known, but is not often openly discussed, which is that Japan is a nuclear power in all but name. In the same way that Japan has a military, it's just, oh, it's a self-defense force, but it's one of, it's, I think, the seventh or eighth largest, maybe sixth largest funded military on the planet, but it's a self-defense force, guys, you know, don't worry. Well, in the same way, oh, we're not a nuclear power, we don't have nuclear weapons, we just have a stockpile of weapons-grade plutonium that can be converted into uh several thousand nuclear bombs when and if we need to do so. And we have the nuclear technology to do so. Where did they get all that technology? Oh, that's right. So for people who don't know the backstory on that, I interviewed Joe Trento um, back in 2012 about a article he wrote at that time for the National Security News Service. United States circumvented laws to help Japan accumulate tons of plutonium, talking about the completely illegal agreement um, that they had um, back from the 1980s onwards to help this big stockpile arise in the first place to essentially make Japan a secret backdoor nuclear nation. Again, all they have to do is flip a switch and their civilian nuclear energy program could be a military nuclear weapons program overnight if and when they need to. And that's been the open secret for a very long time, um, which is why it is concerning that uh, obviously this this pact that they have with the U.S. is going to continue and the stockpile is presumably going to increase. Uh, the deal apparently is that when and if one of the sides of the uh, this agreement don't like it, then they can say it's over and six months from that point it will f finally come to a close. But 
Uh, at this point, both the U.S. and Japan are happy for it to go on because, again, it's a way of keeping a low-key nuclear power in the region without it being a nuclear power. No, there's no nuclear weapons, guys. Just everything you need to create a nuclear weapon <laughs> overnight. So this is this is a, a fundamental underlying issue, and uh, it bubbles to the surface here and there with stories like this every now and then, but no one ever seems to really connect that final dot. So let me hit you with a couple other points, a couple other questions here. This all essentially goes back to World War II, right? The whole idea that they're like, oh, you're not allowed. You guys aren't allowed to have this stuff because as the way we you know, all, you know, the spoils went to the victors is, is essentially World War II. Uh, yeah, not only that, though. I mean, obviously, being the only nation to ever suffer nuclear bombings, uh, nuclear weapons is very, very violently opposed by the vast majority of the population here. Never again and all of that kind of stuff. So the Japanese government has always been very vocally anti-nukes or against nuclear weapons. They embraced nuclear energy because the CIA was actually funding a lot of... Uh, newspaper editorials and things in the 50s to get the Japanese public on board and they were doing the Atoms for Peace thing and all of that so Japan became a nuclear energy nation but we hate nuclear weapons and we must abolish them from the face of the planet meanwhile they were secretly doing all of these deals to allow you know US to to maneuver uh, nuclear weapons through the country against their nuclear pact and everything there's a whole story about this but essentially the japanese government has always been two-faced on this matter in public we were against nuclear weapons but in the back door of course they've always got that option on the table so one of our tweeters that uses hashtag new world next week and you audience out there can submit stories to be included here on new world next week using hashtag new world next week one of our lone tweeters and one of our longest fans of the show i believe is in japan oh no no hanzo Posts a thing. It says almost like Japan wants to create Godzilla. This story about dumping some of the radioactive waste into the sea. When I looked into it a little bit, it seems like the stories go back at least a year, and I can find really no concrete kind of info on that happening right now. It just seems like it's sort of gotten back into the zeitgeist and people are talking about it. Do you know anything about that at the moment? Well, I, I mean, essentially, this is uh, relating back to TEPCO and Fukushima and the nuclear waste they have yeah they've been doing this for a very long time now for years so um they they have too much radioactive material you got to release it into the sea but don't worry guys it's all right the ocean will dilute it hmm. well the other point i suppose i can leave with or without comment i think it just it shows what we had talked about in the story with china but also with north korea thaw japan downgrades missile alert level so even sort of lowering some of the DEFCONs there, James. The announcement contrasts with long-term moves to increase Japan's missile defense capabilities. So again, kind of two-faced. Yes, as always, yeah. All right. Our third and final story here on New World Next Week takes us to what is always sometimes our closer story, the like, the weirdness. The Pentagon wants to bring mind-controlled tech to troops. The ideas of humans controlling machines with their minds is, of course, Bafo box office in the multiplex with all the sort of robot movies. But real life, DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, is selecting teams to develop a neural interface that would both allow troops to connect to military systems using their brainwaves and then let those systems transmit back information directly to users' brains. The next generation non-surgical neurotechnology or in three, 
aims to combine the speed and processing power of computers with humans' ability to adapt to complex situations. In other words, the technology would let people control, feel, and interact with the remote machine as though it were part of their own body. DARPA began studying interactions between humans and machines in the 60s. So you think they're probably getting pretty good at it by this point. The technology that merges the two may sound far-fetched. The organization has already proved it's possible. The articles that we cite, and again, of course, everything that we say and mention in these shows, always linked down in the show notes, go through, of course, all the cyborg whiz-bang stuff that they've already created for guys. While this might fuel conspiracy theories about government mind-reading and mind-control, the DARPA docs claim this won't be the case. Scientists are only beginning to figure out how the brain's 100 billion neurons interact, so control those interactions is next to impossible. Instead, he said it's better to think of the N3 technology as a means to use a computer or smartphone without a mouse, without a keyboard, without a touchscreen. Gosh, this kind of reminds me a lot of your latest episode, James. Welcome to your driverless future, which we could talk about. You've had some kind of mixed, mixed reactions on. We'll talk about that second, but first... DARPA super soldiers. Yeah, well, uh, there's certainly the DARPA connection there, as I did play that cl DARPA clip in that episode talking about the hackability of these driverless technologies. And here we have DARPA saying, hey, guys, we're going to you know, have these mind control technologies. I don't think that's quite uh, the right way of saying that, or it's not the right implication. But uh, for people who don't know, obviously, about the history of DARPA and what it does, I would direct people back to my DARPA exposed episode of the Corbett Report radio program. But I did write specifically about this brain initiative research that they were doing back uh, last year in my brain, the Brain Chip Cometh article, which is highly relevant to this, talking about the various technologies. Also, incidentally, talking about uh, Elon Musk and his, um, yeah, his craziness. So, again, a little bit ahead of the trend, thankfully. Um, but uh, absolutely, this is... Just one more link in the chain of what is becoming the interconnected everything. Um, and uh, one of the interesting points that people are making with regard to Welcome to Your Driverless Future is that this is uh, the perfect excuse to put the RFID tracking chips in absolutely everything, in your clothes, in your, uh, in your car, in your everything, so that we can have better sensors and better collision avoidance and things when everything is automated. Well, this is just another aspect of that. Now that everything's got chips in it and it's being tracked, well, now you can also control everything with your mind. It'll be a you know, a, a, a nirvana, a utopia that we can live in. Oh, it just means you'll have no privacy and you'll be uh, potentially hackable yourself. But don't worry about that, guys. It's, you know, convenience, convenience, convenience. It's always the rallying cry. So it's, I guess I, my question is, it did seem like some of the reactions to the driverless future episodes seem like towards the end you you that you maybe take it too far. And I'll actually admit, when I was listening to it myself, there were moments I was like, oh, come on, we've got a long time before that's going to happen. If it took 100 years to sort of set up the highway system, not only on the streets, but also sort of ingrained in us, couldn't, wouldn't it take 100 years for it to go away? I, uh, it could, but I don't, I don't think it's going to. Anyway, we'll find out. And, uh, 10 years from now, we'll be, it'll be like my, uh, You're Being Gamed episode where you look back and say, holy crap, I can't believe you were talking about that seven years ago. I, I have a feeling that's what it's going to be like, but hey, we'll find out. We'll find out as we will continue to make New World Next Week episodes. We're coming up on our nine year anniversary. Hey, I got an idea. How about a slight little bit of good news? 
that latest episode of my Good News Next Week series, Get Smart, Dump That Dumb Phone, plus some good news, which actually concerns Elon Musk, believe it or not, about Flint water filters and some real news laws. So that is actually up only for Media Monarchy patrons right now at patreon.com slash Media Monarchy, trying to find some ways to sort of get people into the Media Monarchy community. And as I like to say at the end of these episodes, I stream news, music, and memes, and more Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Pacific time at MediaMonarchy.com slash listen. James. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks.